Welcome back to the Daily Devotion. My name is Kevin. I'm the pastor of Christ Church Conway, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America here in Conway, Arkansas. The Daily Devotion is a time for us to be strengthened in our faith through the study of Scripture and theology. It's Sermon Sunday, so today we will post the sermon that was preached this morning at Christ Church Conway. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 7. We're going to be looking this morning at Mark chapter 7, verses 31 through 37. And this is what we read. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened and his tongue was released and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Most gracious Father, as we come once again to your word, we ask that you would give us wisdom by your spirit, that you would illumine our hearts and minds, that we could rightly understand your word, that we could hope and rest in the gospel of Jesus Christ. For he is our only hope. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, when we come to this passage, this is one of those passages where there's definitely more than meets the eye. Or maybe, you know, to be clever, we should say more than meets the ear, right? But there's more here than like what we just read. We, we read it and sometimes we say, yeah, okay, so these stories, there's another healing and it shows us the power of Jesus and what he can do for you, that we're right to go to him with our needs and pray and ask for his help. Sometimes we'll get a little more kind of theological and say that, oh, these miracles are designed to prove the truth of his teaching. And that's, that's true as well. Perhaps we'll, we'll take even another step deeper and say, oh, well, the, these miracles show that he's the Messiah and, and realizing the, the promises of the Old Testament. And all of that is true. And we're going to look briefly at those things. But there's actually far more wrapped up in this passage that we're going to see. Because what we see in this passage, as I just told the kids... It's Jesus fulfilling the promises of the eschaton, fulfilling the promises of glory, of the coming kingdom. By his actions, he's demonstrating that indeed the kingdom of God has come to earth with him. But even more fantastic is that he's demonstrating this for Gentiles, not just for Israel, but the kingdom of God has come for the world. So that's what we're going to look at. And and what we're going to see is is we're just going to see several statements just about who our Savior is and what his work is that he does. So first of all, as we look at this, we see that Jesus is, in fact, able to heal. And and this is significant. We, We see it all the time. We've talked about several healings in Mark's gospel already. His gospel is full of healings, 
Matthew, Luke, John, they're full of healings. And, and we see this and we should be excited about this. We should rejoice at this because it does remind us that our Savior, who promises to give us new life, is actually able to do it. In fact, his healing powers go so far as to bringing a man back from the dead as he tells Lazarus to get up and walk out of the tomb. He heals lepers. He heals people that are lame. He here heals someone that's deaf. He heals someone that's blind. He casts out demons. It's no small thing to recall that Jesus is, in fact, able to heal according to his will. And it teaches us as his people to run to him in our times of need. To run to Him when we have broken toes and ask for His healing mercy. To run to Him when we have cancer and ask for healing. To run to Him when we're we're faced with stuff that we don't know the answers to and doctors are struggling with and say, Christ, can you help? We're right to, to do that. All of these healings show us a Savior who is who is gentle, a Savior who is concerned for us, who is tender towards us. And who is actually able to meet the needs that we bring to him. And he still is. This is why James says, if any of you are sick, call the elders and have them pray. Have them lay hands on them and pray. That's not just, you know, the charismatic chaos that people have talked about. That's real biblical Christianity that we've gotten to see in our church as we've prayed even for one of our elders and seen them healed. Sometimes we forget that this is who our Savior is. This is what He's actually capable of. So run to Him. Run to Him for healing. And it does, as, as we, we've looked at before, the, these healing miracles do prove, as do all of his miracles, they do prove that what he's teaching is true. It verifies the miracles, the works, the, the wonders verify what he is saying, that he is actually able to speak with authority. And so again, when we come and we, we see this, you know, Happen and, and this, this man who is deaf and mute and Jesus speaks and tells him, which is funny that he, he commands something vocally to someone who is deaf, but it works. It does verify. It does make a step up and go, wait a minute. I can't heal somebody. I don't know anybody that can speak to a deaf man and all of a sudden he can hear. I don't know anyone that with a touch can heal a leper. I don't know anyone that has said to a dead man, rise and and, and walk. But here is Christ, and he has. Maybe some of the other things he said carried such weight as well. These healings do, in fact, the miracles do, in fact, verify the teachings of Christ. And as we've seen in other passages, they do also 
remind us, teach us, display for us that he is the promised Messiah. Remember, in, in, in the book of Matthew, when John's disciples come to Jesus and you know, John has sent them and, and they, they want to know, are you who we're waiting for? Should we be looking for someone else? And remember how Jesus answers. He doesn't just say, yes, that's me. You got me. Go tell John. No, I mean, he essentially says that, but, but he, he says that by going back to Isaiah 29 and, and Isaiah 35. And, and he says, go tell John that the deaf hear that the mute speak, that the lame walk, that the poor have good news preached to them. Now, why does he say, well, why does he answer that way? Well, because that's what the Messiah was going to do for Israel. He was going to come with healing. He was going to come with life. He was going to come with forgiveness. He was going to come with justice. And so Jesus answers in these Old Testament categories. When John comes saying, are you him? His answer going back to the Old Testament is yes. And here's the proof. I'm doing what the Old Testament said the Messiah would do. I'm the one we've been waiting on. I'm the one you've been looking for. I'm the one that was promised so long ago. I have come and I am bringing to fulfillment all of those promises that depend on my messianic ministry. Sometimes we we miss just how wondrous it is for Christ to have shown up. Remember, the intertestamental period was some 400 years of silence. That means no prophet to to proclaim the word of God to the people of God. They had all the promises going back to Genesis. They they had all the promises of of the seed and, and all the promises given to Abraham. They had the promises that one like Moses would come and he's the one they were to listen to. They had the promises of the prophets that a suffering servant would come. That the, the, the root of, of the stump of Jesse, that, that that branch would grow after long last, that the king would in fact come. But it had been generations. They had been waiting. Sometimes faithfully, sometimes not so much. It's why they were in exile. But they were still waiting. And then here comes this one saying, me. I'm doing all those things that you've been waiting on. I'm fulfilling all of those promises. The kingdom has come. We forget the weight of this because we, all of us here, as far as I know, have always lived in the reality of of living in a land that was controlled by the people of that land. But the Jews didn't. Not at this point. They lived in Israel under Roman control. After having been under Persian control. After having been conquered by Assyria and Babylon. After having been exiled and brought back. They didn't control their own land. They didn't really have their own kingdom. They were allowed to worship. They were allowed to do the things that... that, that they needed to do. 
but they were also required to pay tribute to Caesar. They were also required to live under foreign rule. And here comes this one who, according to their prophecies, is going to reestablish the kingdom. Now, of course, we know he doesn't do it quite like they were expecting. But, but can you imagine? Do you, do you begin to see why there's so much buzz about this Jesus guy? Because he's doing the things that the one, the Messiah, who would bring the kingdom was supposed to do. Oh, they would get real excited about that. But when we, when we set this story in kind of biblical theological context, we see that there's far more happening here. Because this idea of hearing is something that goes way, way back in the Old Testament. And it's something that, that as we've talked about before, is central to, to Israel's identity and to their understanding of who they, who they were and, and even now who they are. We go back to, to the, the, the verse that, that is called the Shema. The Shema is the Hebrew word for hear. And Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That was their message, and that was how it was dispensed. They were to hear that truth, that they might believe that truth. See, so much of, of the Old Testament is, is calling Israel to hear. Listen to the word of God. Hear the word of God. It, it, it's no inconsequential reality that, that God came to his people in word. They were to hear him. That, that was how they were made into the people of God. Even today, as, as we've talked about in, in the back of every synagogue, there's Deuteronomy 6.4, Shema Yisrael. Hear, O Israel. That's what they're to do. They're to hear the word of God. But they weren't very good at it. They weren't very good at listening. They were, they were a whole lot like us. They needed to be reminded. They needed to be told again and again and again. And in fact, it's not very long after the Shema that, that we see what, what we might call a frustration with God saying, you have ears, but you don't hear. You're missing it. And, and then judgment is announced in those terms when we get to the prophets, where, where he says in Isaiah chapter 6, I'm going to keep preaching so that you won't hear. That's what's going to happen. The word's going to keep going out, and your ears are going to be shut. And in Deuteronomy, uh, Jeremiah 5, we see again that Israel's problem was they weren't listening. They weren't hearing what God was saying to them. They were listening to everything else, every other narrative that was trying to define them. They were willing to hear that. But they weren't hearing what God was saying, what Yahweh, their, their covenant Savior, who had delivered them from Egypt. They weren't hearing. Remember Moses' struggle when, when he was sent back to Israel. What if they won't listen to me? That was his fear. Because all he really had was a word from God and some signs that, that affirmed that word. And, and in fact, God gave him those signs to affirm that word so that the people of Israel 
would, in fact, hear what was going on. In Matthew 13, in, in the, the, the explanation of why he's teaching in parables, it says, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, and then he quotes Isaiah 6. You have ears, but you don't hear. It was the same problem in Jesus' day. They had ears. They could, they could have conversations. They weren't all physically deaf. But the Word of God didn't register. They were deaf to what actually mattered. And of course, this continues after Christ, doesn't it? In Acts chapter 28, right there at the end of the story, Paul announces judgment again on the Jews who had come to listen to him because they weren't hearing it. And again, he uses these words from Isaiah 6. You have ears, but you're not hearing. See, that was Israel's problem all along. And you know what? That's our problem. Our problem isn't that good teaching isn't available. Our our problem isn't that that we can't hear the word of God preached week after week. Our problem isn't that, that we don't announce the gospel to each other. Our problem is a hearing problem. That it just kind of goes in one ear and out the other. That, that we have a tendency to listen to all of these other narratives just as much as we listen to the narrative of God's word about his people. And, and we don't hear God's word. But as we see in this story, this is exactly what Jesus is able to do. He is able to make us hear. See, there was this deaf and mute fella, and he was brought to Jesus. And and his friends were begging Jesus, you know, heal him. Lay your hands on him and heal him. And for whatever reason, it doesn't tell us. We can speculate all kinds of reasons, but it doesn't tell us, so it's better not to. Jesus takes this gentleman to the side And he puts his fingers in his ears and he spits and then he touches his tongue. And then he says this Aramaic word, ephatha, and he's able to hear. And he's able to speak. See, this is what Jesus does. It's not just the physical miracle that that we need to note here. We've already talked about that. Jesus is able to heal. Go to him. Call out to him. But there's something more going on here. Because these miracles also show something about the reality of what Jesus does for us. He's the one who is able to make us here. He's the one who's able to give us ears to hear. Remember what we've heard throughout the book of Mark a couple of different times. Anyone who has ears to hear, let him hear. The problem often is when that statement is announced by Jesus is that there's just not a whole lot of people that seem to have ears to hear. And so they don't get to. It's fine if you're able to. Yeah, go for it. Do it. But what if you can't hear? What if the word of God really does fall on deaf ears? Ears that are deaf to the gospel. Ears that are are deaf to spiritual things. What then? Well, as Rob read for us earlier in the gospel of Isaiah, as some people call it, chapter 35, 
we see that this is exactly what the Messiah was going to do. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Just a few minutes ago, we sang, Hear him, ye deaf, his praise, ye dumb. Your loosened tongues employ. Ye blind, behold your Savior come, and leap, ye lame, for joy. That's what the Messiah was going to do. That's why we sing that. It's not just, hey, we have a Messiah that can heal. It is that, and that's incredible. But it's that also Jesus came in fulfillment of these prophecies that were given so long ago that gave hope to the people of God that He would yet act. He would yet establish the kingdom. He would yet bring healing to the land and healing to the people. He would yet redeem us. He would yet establish us as His people. And that's exactly what we see Christ do here. He unstops the ears of the deaf. And this physical act, this physical unstopping of this man's ears displays the spiritual work of Christ in all of us. Because we don't naturally hear the Word of God on our own. We're deaf to the things of God. We don't seek Him. We don't listen for Him. We we don't care a thing about what He has to say. On our own, in our flesh. That's why that, that phrase, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's why that's of such significance. Because naturally... That's none of us. And so it begs the question, when Jesus says that, anyone who has ears to hear, let him hear. Who exactly is he talking to? If we're all naturally deaf to his word, who is he talking to? He's talking to his people. Because as Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. We commented earlier on the kind of comical scene that it was of Jesus verbally giving a command to a deaf man. Now perhaps some would want to kind of undo the the oddity here and be like, well, deaf people are really good at reading lips. Perhaps. I don't know. But we're missing what happened. The Word of God brought hearing. It was the word of Christ. It was his command to this man's ears to be opened that opened them. He unstops the ears of those who are deaf and he does it through the proclamation of his word. This is part of the mystery of the gospel. People say, I don't believe the story. And our answer shouldn't be, well, let's have an apologetic discussion. Now listen, I love apologetics. I was a philosophy major. If you want to argue, let's do it. It'll be a whole lot of fun for some of us. 
For others, it'll be a whole lot of stress. So choose wisely. But when people say, I don't believe, our answer, the answer, the biblical answer to unbelief isn't Let me argue you into the kingdom of God. Let me explain a Christian ontology and a Christian epistemology. And let me begin to put all of these philosophies and philosophical ideas together so that you see this actually is plausible. Let me explain the historical reality of what happened and show you all the archaeological. We can do that. And there's value in that. But. The thing that will unstop someone's ears, the thing that answers unbelief, is telling the story again. Announcing the word of Christ again. This is one thing that that Lutherans have all over us because Martin Luther, he believed in the power of the word. And they are totally comfortable with the mystery of, let me just say it again. Let me tell you about Jesus again. Because one of these times is bound to work. So I'm going to share the gospel again. I'm going to tell you what Jesus did for you again. I'm going to tell you about his life and death and resurrection again. Because that's all I've got. I've told you all about This man, Martin Bond, that was one of the church planting assessors when Annie and I went through that. And and his story that when he showed up planting a church in in New Mexico, people wanted to know, like, well, what's your kind of shtick? What's your gimmick? And he was like, I've just got a story about a Jewish man that died and rose again. And I'm going to tell that story. Why? Because that's what the Bible says unstops people's ears. The Word of God. Proclaiming that. That's why, that's why when we come here week after week, this is what we proclaim again and again and again. Because we get hard of hearing very quickly. Very quickly. And we need to be reminded again and again of the gospel. Because it is the gospel, the word of God proclaimed, that makes us able to hear. This is the work of Jesus. He also, as we see in this passage, makes us able to speak. But only when he wants us to. He he tells them repeatedly, hey, don't go tell anybody about this. You would think he'd be like, listen. I just, you know, gave you sight. I just cleansed you of leprosy. I just fixed your broken legs. I just brought you back from the dead. Let's get the word out. This is what I do. But over and over, and there's all kinds of interesting speculation as to why, but over and over, he does just like he did here. Hey, let's not tell anybody about this. You're like, what What is going on? And and the best answer that that, that I think people have come up with is that he had a plan for his ministry. And it wasn't time for certain things to happen yet. But then we get to the end 
And he says, go and make disciples of all nations. In other words, start talking. Start telling. And how does he tell them to make disciples? He gives them a two-step process. Baptizing and teaching. That's how they're to make disciples. We often read that as, side note, side sermonette. We often read that as three imperatives. Make disciples, baptize, teach. There's only one imperative. Make disciples. And then there's two participles that explain how to do that. Baptize and teach. Side note of a side note, the baptizing comes first. Then the teaching. Back on track now. What they were supposed to do was go teach. That's how this was going to happen. He sent them out and he said, start talking. And then what does he say to us in Ephesians through Paul? Sing the gospel to one another. Speak to one another. In in Ephesians chapter 4, the passage that is the vision statement of our church, in Ephesians 4.15, it says this, if I can find it. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. How are we to grow? By speaking the truth to each other in love. Speaking and hearing. This is is the way of the ministry of the word of God. And so he does make us able to speak. And he does command us to speak these things to one another. And as a church to the world. But there's still more going on here. Jesus in this passage, is announcing that he is ushering in the eschaton, the the final kingdom of God that will reign forever. See, there's this interesting word that is used here, magilalos. It's a fun Greek word. It's a fun Greek word because it's only used one time in the entire New Testament in this verse. And it's the word that's used when it's translated here as speech impediment. It probably means you can't talk at all. And it's only used by Mark here. It's also a fun word because interestingly, it's only used one time in this entire Septuagint the Greek translation of the Old Testament that existed before the New Testament. It's only used one time in Isaiah 35, 5, where it said that that in the end, when everything is being made right, the deaf will sing for joy. Now, they knew their Old Testaments well enough that, that we're safe assuming this wasn't an accident. There are other ways you can talk about someone being mute in Greek. To use this rare word that's only used that one time and it's used to announce the the, the eschaton, the, the, the glory of the coming of the kingdom of God and all of the healing that will come, we're safe assuming that, yeah, there's some intertextual things going on here. That was on purpose. Mark is wanting us to see exactly what's happening here. Yes, Jesus is healing someone, but it's not just that. Yes, it's proving his teaching, but it's not just that either. Yes, it's showing him to be the Messiah, but wait, there's more. Yes, he's showing that he is able to unstop our ears and open our mouth. But 
Mark is also wanting us to see that with the coming of Christ comes the very kingdom of God of which we found in Him by faith are now citizens. See, this passage really does redefine reality for us around the Word of God. Because all of a sudden we see exactly who our Savior is, exactly what the work is that He was coming to do, and exactly what the fruit of His coming means. The kingdom is at hand. No longer with the coming of Christ is the announcement, the kingdom of God is coming. Now the announcement is, the kingdom of God is here. That's how we should be living. Not as if we're just looking to the future. I don't know why the future is over there, but it is. Not as if we're just looking to the future saying, it's out there and we're going to get there someday. It's here. The kingdom of God is at hand. The enemy has been conquered. The king has shown up and the story has changed now. The true story of the people of God is the the controlling narrative of everything for us at this point. It should have been all along, but we're hard of hearing. But here comes this one, Jesus, who says, listen, and listen good. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's it's no coincidence that that, that 50 different times in the book of Revelation we're told to hear the word of God. Or or that, that John says, I looked and heard. Wrong senses, John. You look and see. But over and over and over in the book of Revelation, he looks and then hears something. Because that's what this is about. It's about hearing what God says to us. And what he has said to us in this passage is I'm the one that can unstop your ears to hear my words. I'm the one that can unstop anyone's ears to hear my word. I'm the one who loosens your tongue that you might sing my praises. I'm the one who has brought the kingdom of God into your world. And so it changes how we look at life. Because no longer are we looking at life just waiting for the kingdom. But now we must think and speak about our lives in terms of being citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Because that's the kingdom that's at hand. And yes, I get it. We lived, to use John Stott's book title, Between These Two Worlds. We talk about the already and the not yet. It's already been inaugurated, but it hasn't been consummated. Like We get all of that. We talk about all of those things, but we can never forget that it has actually come. And that's where our security is found. And that therefore we don't have to live in fear of the kingdoms around us 
and what they can do to us or what they can provide for us if we lose it. Like we don't have to live in fear of the crumbling of earthly kingdoms or the rising of violent kingdoms because we've been brought into a new kingdom that Jesus is telling us here, that Jesus is showing us here. He has ushered in. And so we can live now in this world with the confidence of being citizens of the heavenly kingdom rather than in the fear of losing what we have. See, that's how the gospel changes everything for us. It makes us able to hear and able to hear what we hear is that the kingdom has come. And you have been brought in to the kingdom of God. So yes, he's able to heal us. Yes, the miracles verify the truth of his teaching. Yes, he's the Messiah. But yes, also he's able to make you hear his word. And to loosen your tongue to sing praises to him. And to announce this ear unstopping message to others. And yes, the kingdom of God has come. And you, dear Christian, are a citizen of that kingdom. And so you need not live in fear of losing this one. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word and just for the hope that it gives us, for the confidence that it gives us in your word, for this full picture of Christ that we have, that that he is concerned with our physical needs, but he's also the king who has ushered in your kingdom and has ushered us into your kingdom. By your spirit, open our ears that we might hear and be strengthened. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.